Hello everyone and welcome to Space Spiels. My name is Paige Kaufman and I am an undergraduate astronautical engineering student at the University of Southern California. On this podcast, we will talk about all things aerospace. We will discover how people got where they are in industry and their experience of the culture and community on the way. Enjoy! Hello everyone, I'm coming at you right now for this intro from Sacramento, California. I'm visiting my parents right now, home for a few days right before the school year kicks in. I'm uh, filming this intro in early August because I know the school year is about to kick my butt. So I really hope I'm doing well by the time that you're hearing this. Uh, so today I had an amazing conversation with Caroline O'Neill. So Caroline attended the University of Texas at Austin and she earned a aerospace engineering degree in December 2019. She graduated and then she attended the University of Southern California for grad school and got a master's in astronautical engineering. She graduated from USC in May 2020. So now Caroline works at Aerojet Rocketdyne and she works in propulsion. Caroline and I had an amazing conversation today. She's one of the few female alumni that I've connected with and we just really match each other as energy. It's kind of unfortunate that we missed each other um, at school. She just graduated a little bit before I joined lab and it's just been amazing to connect with her and talk with her. So I really hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Hello. Oh, yeah, there we go. Yay. Hi. I'm so glad to finally like talk to you. I've just seen you on like, you went to our like PDR. Yes. I get to meet you finally. I've seen you everywhere. I'm like, this girl seems so cool. Why is she in the band and doing brackets and all this stuff? She seems (laughs) so awesome. (laughs) Oh, you're so sweet. Well, I got the same energy from you. So I was like, this is a good excuse for me to just reach out to the people I want to talk to. So. All right. We have our first question is, did you always know you wanted to go into rocketry and what sparked your interest? Yeah, I was one of those kids that knew what they wanted to do whenever, like, they were nine years old. Like, a lot of people, they they take years to figure out what they want to do or they change majors in colleges. But I was just lucky enough to want to know what I wanted to do since I was nine. My parents took me to Kennedy Space Center. And I looked up in the rocket guard and I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I'll do that. And <laughs> that's it. Yeah. And um, the funny part was, like, I said that to a lot of things. I wanted to be a barber. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a meteorologist. And I wanted to yeah. be a cowboy because I love Toy Story. And my parents were like, when I said that about aerospace, my parents were like, okay, sure, honey. <laughs> Go. You like do whatever you want to do, honey. You're doing great. I'm like, okay. That's so cute. And then 10 years down the line, they're like, oh, you wanted to do that. Oh, it's what? <laughs> they didn't realize I meant yeah. it that time. So, yeah, that one stuck. Oh, that's so cute. I love it. <laughs> um, so then you went to the University of Texas, I saw. And what was your experience like there? Hot. It's hot in Austin. <laughs> Where are you from? <laughs> I'm from Dallas, Texas. So oh, okay. you would think I'd be used to it, but no, no. Um, yeah, it was kind of awkward when I went to SC after I went to Texas. A lot of people were yeah. uh, like, why are you going there? You went to Texas. And it's like, I don't know. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I, went, I went to Texas um, because I applied to a bunch of universities. And, um, you know, I got in places and I was 
waiting on Stanford. And when Stanford uh, came back mm. with a rejection, I was like, well, Texas, it seems like Texas or UW. And um, yeah. I decided to pick Texas because uh, in-state tuition and um, like, it seemed like, like, you know, the UW program at the time, you couldn't pick aerospace as your major. You had to like take classes in junior year. You would have to apply for it, I think, but that oh. could change as of today. But um, I wanted to do aerospace from the get-go, so I picked mm -hmm. Texas, and that's all she wrote. And, um, yeah, at first I was intimidated. Like, it's, like, I thought I had a handle on aerospace, and aerospace is actually a very broad topic. People think it's a very niche topic where it's just rockets and it's not. Mm -hmm. I didn't know I wanted, yeah, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had this degree, and I felt like, I felt like I didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah. And I knew I wanted to start building rockets because that's what I saw in the garden that day. And mm -hmm. I thought that, um, like, where do I start? Where do I begin? So I started doing my certification rockets. So um, you can build these rockets. They can be two feet tall. They could be eight feet tall. You can build them on your own. Oh. And these certification rockets, like, you have to go through certain clubs to like get your certifications and oh. so I started building like you can do a level one once you get a level one you can have access to bigger motors and these are solid propellant motors you can stick mm -hmm. up the rocket and they take off and then once you get your l2 then you can have bigger motors and it's just to keep people safe from their own self because uh I mean everybody wants to buy the big motor so right Right. Yeah, so I started doing that. And so this was all independently, like after school. Yeah, this was around classes. I, oh, around classes. Yeah. So, like, you know, classes at the time, freshman, sophomore year were like, you know, physics, calculus, right. not not your yeah. rocketry stuff yet. So I was mm -hmm. like, how do I satisfy this like need to want to do this? Yeah. And um, and. I'll be honest with you, I was not very successful. Like I got my L1, but I barely got it. And I failed three times before I got my L2, level two. Oh. And that was my real first taste of failure because I was, look, I was a very big nerd in high school and I was a very big nerd in college. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I was studying hard and working my tail off. But like the first real sign of failure was that because I could not figure out what was wrong. And it was easy to just, want to stop it was easy to mm -hmm. give up because like this is a lot of money this is out of my own pocket like why why continue doing it if it's going to be right. a waste of money right at the same time me and my stubborn self <laughs> I was like this this is part of the rocketry deal you know a good example um like for better, for worse is SpaceX. You see the failures and same thing with ULA and other, all the other rocketries, Relativity, Firefly, the failures are a part of the successes. You don't get to the successes mm -hmm. without the failures. And uh, at the time we didn't have a lot of those small sack companies and SpaceX actually wasn't as big as it is today then. So I had to like reach down and I just felt that hope is something you give yourself. That is the true meaning of inner strength. And I just, I kept pushing and that's why I got the L2. And oh. uh, I just, what a story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's, yeah, then I graduated and uh, still didn't know what to do. And it was either go get a job 
or it was uh, go to grad school. Mm -hmm. I had internships with Aerojet Rocket Dine. You see, halfway through my career, I didn't know what to do still. Like, if you, <laughs> Paige, if you don't know what you want to do right now, that's okay. I, didn't, I so needed to hear that. So yeah, because, <laughs> I mean, aerospace can be controls. It can be orbital mechanics. It can be rockets. It can be uh, attitude dynamics. It could be a lot of things. I didn't think, I didn't, I figured out what I wanted to do after my first internship with uh, Aerojet Rocket Guide, I worked in Los Angeles. I worked on the space shuttle engine with no That's fluids so cool. experience. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I was like, why did they hire me? Was it a mistake? I was going to say, how'd you get the gig? You're just charismatic, uh, well, you're I guess. Um, No, no, I, uh, Twitter. <laughs> no way. What did yeah. you do on Twitter? Uh, so they put out a tweet that said, if you're still looking for an internship, apply here. Three weeks later, after doing that, I got a call. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. Sick. They didn't yeah. interview you. They just called you. Yes, they they they, they interviewed. They called, okay, but okay. like I applied online and it yeah. worked from there. And then awesome. they, okay. the interview process was simple. It's for an internship. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's how I ended up in the Aerojet Rocketdyne system. Yeah, is, uh, yeah. That first step. They then, gave you um, the first shot. Exactly. So that's that's why I like the company. I'm a little bit biased, but uh, then yeah. um, I applied again. This is still undergrad. This is still all undergrad. Oh my god. And I um I applied again, but my boss told me, go to Florida, see if you like it. Don't do the same mm -hmm. internship twice because you want to get as much as you can. These are three month commitments. Yeah. And um, like once you get a job, Paige it's usually a year commitment um, mm -hmm. or two. So, and plus you got to move. There's a lot more to it. So if you got an internship, like make the most of it. Right. And uh, so that's what I did. I went to the, I went to the space coast side and well, I loved it there too. So I didn't really have a bad internship experience. And um, awesome. so after that, that, after that internship, I uh, went back to school and then I graduated in December, 2019. And, okay. Uh, that's, so these were internships yeah. like sophomore summer and then junior summer. Here and then senior. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was one of the few people that didn't have an internship at sophomore year at Texas in my little friend group, and so mm -hmm. I felt like I didn't. I was. I was. I felt small. I didn't feel like I was good enough because you know all these people are like I want them to be successful, but yeah. You know, at the same time, I want to start growing too, but yeah. you just got to right keep too, pushing. So. Oh, my oh no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just got to keep pushing because the answer will always be no, unless you try. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's just the, and it's easier said than done, but at the same time, it's, it still rings true. <laughs> so Absolutely. It does. But yeah. That was yeah. Texas. Yeah. Hot still. But yeah. That was Texas. <laughs> everything. <laughs> picturing everything in the heat. Absolutely. So what was the moment where you realized that you liked crop? Because you said it happened at one of those internships. What was it? So I worked on the RS-25, which is known as the R the um, space shuttle main engine. And just being a part of the team, seeing how the plumbing worked and being mind blown that, you know, on the inside of the combustion chamber is like 6,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And yet on the outside of the nozzle, it's like negative 200, 300, 400 
Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. And like at first it was intimidating. I'm like, I don't know if I'm cut out for this, but right. it's really, like, you'll find Paige that it's really the people surrounding the project as well as the project itself. I liked space engines. I wanted to try. I, I'm up for a challenge. Even if yeah. I don't feel like I'm qualified or up for it, I just, I keep going. And at the same time, it's good to have a support structure. And um, like my team was the best team, in my opinion, I'm biased, <laughs> and, that I could ever <laughs> have as an intern. And it made me fall in love with uh, like liquid rocket engines. And then um, I didn't know exactly how they work still after my internship, because I don't know if you've heard of this, but the RS-25 is considered the Ferrari of the liquid engine <laughs> world. It I is one of the most that. complex. Yeah, it's the, one yeah. of the most complex. And it takes a long time to build, and but it, it gives you your efficiency and it's reusable. That's that's why it's the shuttle engine. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, no, that uh, I still didn't quite understand everything. So then when I went back to school, I started looking up how engines worked. So I broadened my knowledge as an undergrad, and yet I still didn't know everything. So I just kept wanting to learn how the stuff worked. And you know, you talk with your friends, you try to figure out how things work. And then um, at the time, Texas didn't have a rocket propulsion lab. You mm-hmm. had uh, a couple of clubs that would help you build solid rockets, but not liquid engines. So yeah. because I yeah. still didn't, I mean, I could have taken the job after graduating at Texas, but I still did not feel confident in my abilities to call myself a propulsion engineer because I, I never worked on a liquid rocket engine hands-on. Right much like the lab at USC mm-hmm. because a lot of the work I did in, at uh, West Palm Beach, Florida and in Los Angeles was very much like paper and getting close a little bit, but not really understanding everything. And yeah. so I wanted yeah. to be a better engineer. And that's why I, I chose to con- like continue my uh, c- career in college to uh, get my master's. But that's, that's how I started was I started with the internship. I was interested yeah. in it immediately. It made me curious and it didn't bore me. And uh, so I started pursuing liquid rocket propulsion. That's awesome. That's awesome. So that, so we're going, we're at USC now and you are Pingate's creator, are you? Yeah, God. Yeah. Okay, so that I had to talk to you about alive. It. it is. So for the people who are listening who don't know what this is, it's like a PNID. So it's like a diagram of how some type of system works. And you change the color of pins to see if they're open or not. So that if there's some type of danger, we can quickly vent it and know what's open and closed. So where did this come from? Did you come up? Like, did it come to you in a dream? Did you see another team doing something? Like, where did this come from? Well, we were in lab one day. And uh, we were on the test stand Hydra, which is a kerosene and gaseous oxygen test stand. That's what the Pengate uh, PNID schematic had on the board. But we mm-hmm. didn't have that at the time. Pengate didn't exist. So we were relying strictly on the steps written down um, that I wrote down. So I feel at fault, but and I'll tell you the story in a sec. But like, okay. um, the the steps I wrote down. Like we checked every single valve to make sure everything that needed to be closed was closed and everything that was open was open. Right. And 
we had our DAC engineer who also had a GUI interface on his computer that told mm-hmm. him which valves were open and closed. Right. And we had um, no labels on the test stand. So if you look at the test stand today, it has labels everywhere. It's littered with labels. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was not the case one day. And I was one of the technicians on the stand. And we mm-hmm. had what I called a three-point failure. And it wasn't a failure of the test stand. The test stand didn't blow up or anything. It was a three-point failure in communication. We had no labels to tell us which valve was open. If you looked at the actuator and you didn't know what open meant, like the actuator would give you a color, yellow or green. Well, like it's not yellow (laughs) or red, so it's not as intuitive. Right, right. Uh, Also on the DAC GUI interface, one of the valve names was uh, like one of the valves normal states. Yeah, normally open and normally closed. Well, mm-hmm. it was flipped. Like so, Ooh. the DAC engineer actually opened the valve instead of closing it. And lastly, um, like the guy that was doing the steps at the time, like we did all the steps, but there was a check and we never checked uh, if the valve was open or closed. So mm-hmm. I said, this is not acceptable. I don't feel safe on the test stand, and I wouldn't want anybody else near the test stand in this condition. When you right. are a test conductor, um, trust and um, communication are dire with the technicians. They trust you. you got to be able to um, communicate and make sure that you know what's going on with these valves. And Pingate, I decided to go to the lovely target at the village, and get two styrofoam boards, tape them to de- together, because I knew those thumbtacks, um, thumbtacks will stick through one board. And I didn't want to stick uh-huh. myself holding this thing. Uh-oh. So I had a printer at home. I printed the schematic to Hydra on a like, huge paper and taped it all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I also bought green thumbtacks to signify valves open. Red thumbtacks to signify valve closed. And then I had like a bunch of colors that were just other. Um, we fixed the GUI interface naming convention. That's okay now. But, and you know, I still put in the instructions, check all these valves. And, but that, and then I even labeled the test stand. I spent a day and a half labeling that test stand with the label maker. We ran out of labels a few times. And <laughs> but I think just, we're out right now too. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, I'm doing something right. <laughs> yeah, so I said, this is still not enough. If you're calling out procedures, you need to keep up with what's going on because the technician cannot keep up with everything if they're on the test stand. They're, they're worried about their safety first. And secondly, they're going to do the procedure that you ask them to. And the DAC engineer, he's doing what you're telling him to do. So you, as a test conductor, like you need to have something that's electronic, or physical in front of you, and that's where Pengate came from. Yeah. Wow. What an idea. And look at us learning from like your past mistakes. Like I didn't even know why we did this stuff. It's just like implemented. And that makes so much sense. Looking yeah. back, I, like yeah. Yeah. Like we had we had um, a three point failure in communication and it caused a, a loud vent to go off. And um, mm-hmm. like you wouldn't want to be near that. And you wouldn't want to have that happen by accident or go through what a three point failure in communication. So that was the step I took to just take care of it all. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. I'm so glad you told me that you created it. 
So you're at Aerojet now. Could you describe like what you do there and what you're working on right now? Yeah. So right now, Aerojet Rocketdyne just got acquired by L3 Harris. So now we are Aerojet Rocketdyne and L3 Harris subsidiary. <laughs> oh, but, um, rolls off it the literally tongue. just happened today, July no 28th. Way. They closed the deal. Yeah, it just oh happened. Oh my God, <laughs> I hadn't heard. Oh, okay. Well, breaking yeah, news. It, I just, yeah, I logged on and all of a sudden my Aerojet email is, it's still an Aerojet email, but like I have parentheses next to my name, L3 Harris. And I was like, oh, interesting. Wow. <laughs> but That's um, how you found yeah, out. Just, That's awesome. Yeah, I was like, oh, well, it would have been nice to know ahead of time, but okay. It's, I mean, what can you do? Don't ask me. <laughs> yeah. So at Aerojet Rocketdyne, an L3 Harris subsidiary. <laughs> I, uh, I'm an RL10 field and launch support uh, engineer, which means on the RL10 engine, the RL10 engine is a second stage engine um, that has to be high ISP and very efficient with its mass and uh, lots of thrust. So that's what high ISP means. And uh, field and launch support, uh, what I do on that team is I, in the field, you know, we have our requirements. We have like tooling we have to make, like ground support equipment. We have to integrate the engine to the rocket itself. We gotta do all these safety checks. Sound familiar with LPL safety checks? And then um, like the fun part is the launching because like you have to be in constant communication with your customer who's on the rocket. So we have Delta and Atlas and Vulcan for ULA. And we have NASA with Artemis. And um, then, like, you're on console, you're calling, like, you're not calling all the shots, but um, you are telling the people that have to make the big decisions, how is the engine doing? And um, That's cool. Yeah. And I did this as an intern, and I loved it. And I wanted to come back, so that's why I'm here. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That is awesome. Oh, my gosh. So are you working in a team there, I assume? Yep. We have uh, multiple people working on different projects. So field and launch support involves um, shipping containers. So the engine's got to go in a shipping container to be shipped to the customer. Then you have integration tools. Um, so like how do you put the engine on the rocket? Like it has to come with tooling. Some of it will be with ULA. ULA is the owner of the rocket or NASA is, but mm-hmm. you also have to have your own tooling. So you help with design engineers, structure engineers to make sure the tooling is suffice. And then um, we also have, let's see, uh, service manuals. So if you get the engine, it's like a car manual. Like you have to have a manual <laughs> next to it yeah. to say how it works. Yeah. And it's like what replace it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And yeah, you like, you know, you have to do leak checks, you have to do torque checks, you know, you have to do all these different things mm-hmm. to help make sure the engine is at its highest level of integrity. And then um, we also have a team that's up at Cape Canaveral permanently, just it's one guy right now, but it might grow in the future. And um, like he's doing launch support and like, like, like integration of like nozzles onto the chamber. So fun fact, we don't put on the entire engine um, at the integration facilities, we have to put it on a little bit later. Um, oh. That's what our rep does at Canaveral is he helps put the nozzles on a little later. And that's why he's there. He's very important to yeah. do that work. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a fun job. And I get to have my hand in a little bit of everything because I did just start 
year a year ago, year and a half ago on uh, this team. Yeah. That's epic. Do you get to see like the tests? Like, do you get to see hot fires? Do you guys hot fire these? Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, so Airjet Rocketdyne at West Palm Beach, the RL10 program is one of the few programs where in one location you have the engineers, the designers, structural analysis, and um like aer- aerothermal fluids. You also have manufacturing. You have a manufacturing floor on site. You get to go see the nozzle. You get to go see the chamber. You get to go see all the valves. And then also we have a test stand on site. So you get to see the entire process of the RL-10 and its maturity on one site. And we have a test stand that is an altitude chamber. So they pull vacuum so that they can tell their customers, hey, like we tested the engine at vacuum, so it will work in space whenever the second stage needs to fire mm-hmm. so yeah we, oh, we have we so have cool. lots of hot fires and um yeah amp up as uh, we head on into the next three years wow epic so um what is something that you think that i'm kind of asking this for lpl's sake that collegiate rocketry clubs could learn from Aerojet? Like, is there anything they do particularly well involving soft skills or, like, technically? Um, never underestimate the value of communication, uh, safety, as well as teamwork. Because sometimes we want to go off and do our own thing. We want to, like, you know, take ownership and just run it through like it has, like it has no problems with it. But it's actually a good process to have your work checked because throughout your entire life, you're going to have your work checked. It's not an insult. (laughs) It's very much (laughs) just like have multiple eyes on it, get it written off and it'll be okay. Communication is a soft skill that is constantly overlooked. And it's not that people don't know how to talk. You know how to talk. I know how to talk, but it's how do you um, effectively communicate the information you need without running off on a tangent or being so succinct that it leads to more questions. So mm-hmm. Paige, you might find in your career that you have to stand in front of people aboard and um, present something. If you have no questions at the end of the board, that means either you did really well or you did really bad. But if they ask questions, if they ask a two, if they ask a lot of questions, that means you know you caused a lot of confusions. You were so succinct that you didn't effectively communicate what you needed. And right. um, but then you know if you run off on a tangent, then like the board's not going to follow you either. So it, it communication. This comes with experience more than anything else. You can't just wake up one day and be like, I'm going to do, but like, I'm going to do this, and it happens overnight. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's communication. And then uh, safety. So I know a lot of college teams, um, they always, the joke is safety third. But um, <laughs> yeah. What's the first and second? Do they say? Oh, that's just the joke. Detail's not important. Um. <laughs> Tell me off air. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so safety, um, this is how you learn how to value the people on the test stand. So this goes back to the pin gate story. If I don't feel comfortable being at the test stand working on it, when I don't think my test conductor is knows like what valves are open or closed, 
then I'm not going to put someone else out there and make them do it. And, um, like, that's just my way of, that's just my feeling for it. Other people might feel a little bit differently, but I feel like that's a very valued connection between you and your technicians. And, uh, if they don't feel that you are putting their safety first, they will not work for you. They will not go on the test stand. And so that's just safe. You want to go home at the end of the day with all your fingers because you have a life outside of work and outside of rocketry. You want to be able to enjoy it. And if you're not taking safety as serious as you could, then uh, your life outside of rocketry and outside of um, work could be affected. And I, I wouldn't want that for anybody. So Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. You said the communication thing, because I'm just, I was just talking to someone. I was like, I feel like I oversimplify things and I'm like almost selling myself short. So I, I'm finding that balance too, that you totally talked about. Yeah, I tend to go off on tangents, unlike this phone call. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is talking. This is for tangents. That's exactly what it's Fair for. enough. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this has led us to the two questions that I ask everyone. So the first one is, what is the most meaningful connection you have made within your professional life and why? So that could be I'm schoolwork, a... internships, anything. Oh, schoolwork too. Interesting. I feel that uh, my most meaningful connection, that's tough. Um, let's see. I'm going to divide it into two, school okay. and career, because that works. I feel like that's I can answer that better. Um, yeah. In school, I felt like my friends at USC in the lab with me, uh, they were my most special connection. They st there are still people I talk to to this day that were in the lab at me at one point or in classes with me at one point. The reason why we share that connection is because, you know, COVID hit in March 2020 and I started grad school January 2020. And so we had three, three, like, sorry, two and a half months to like get to know each other. But then all of a sudden the world shut down and then you lose physical communication. You can't just talk to someone face to face anymore. Mm -hmm. So we really had to work on communicating and like really putting in the effort. And, you know, these, these people that I'm friends with today, they put in the effort and um, we were just talking almost daily and every other hour we were watching movies and mm -hmm. it's, yeah. It, then, um, then whenever I came back onto campus, February 2021. So it's been a year since I've been on campus. There were still people there that like I was talking to on Zoom that we could go hang out. And like they made the effort to want to see me. We got tested before we met. And that's that's one of my most valued connections is uh, some of the people in the lab. I can't name them all in this podcast. I've run over yeah. on time. <laughs> but um yeah, and they uh they, they they hold a special place in my heart because they made the grad school years and experience worth it in my opinion like yeah i didn't yeah. get you know i <clears throat> i took classes and i got some value out of that i, I you know i got some le lessons learned and value out of that but it's really the people you're with mm -hmm. and uh, i just had really good friends i surrounded myself with the yeah, other one awesome. for professional is um wow that is tough i um my most treasured connection is probably two two different people one of them works in 
uh, LA on the RS-25. Remember how mm -hmm. I told you whenever I was on my first internship, I, um, I was scared as my first internship and I told you how great it was and how much I felt like a part of the team. And my teammates on that team in Los Angeles were my most special connection because um, they made me feel at home. They didn't make me feel like I was dumb. They answered all my questions, all my intern questions. <laughs> and um, they let me grow as a person and as an engineer. They didn't just put me in a corner. And mm -hmm. I could say the same thing about the team here in West Palm. That's why I came back. It's the same team I'm working yeah. on. Um, like it is about the support structure you surround yourself with. It's not always about the work and the people that I'm working with today, they make my day every day. It's, it's a pleasure to go to work with them. That is so awesome. I so love that. Yeah. They say you spend more time with the people at work than your like own family. So you better like them. <laughs> yeah. It's a second family. Exactly. All right. Next question is advice you would give your 20 year old self. Mm. Buy stock. I'm kidding. <laughs> 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 yeah, just, buy Bitcoin. Buy. Just kidding. <laughs> Pick these lottery numbers. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, um, 20 year old self, don't be discouraged by failure. Um, you have to go through it to learn more about how to succeed. People don't really find the value in failure, but it, it really does teach you some lessons learned, whether they're easier or hard lessons learned. Um, another thing I would tell myself is, uh, let's see, what else would I say? I want to hear more. I think there's one more, but um, no, no, that's it. That started off like it was going to be two things, one thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's totally fine that's totally fine oh i love it all right great interview that's all we have that's it wow that's hey <laughs> i know i know hello everyone this is editing page here and i just wanted to chime in because caroline texted me afterwards and said that she wanted to add a little bit to her what I would tell my 20 year old self segment. So this is what she says. She says, know that you're going to go so far and be proud of what you've done. You have no idea with a little smiley face. And then she also said to stop overthinking things. Now, these are both some points that I totally could take to heart. And, you know, I think it's important to take a second and look back at what you already have accomplished and just take that moment and be like, I am so proud of what I've done. And remember that your future self will feel that same way. So really great points from Caroline. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Space Spiels. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a fellow space nerd and follow us and rate the podcast. It really helps us out. Tune in for new episodes every Monday. I'll talk to you next week.